Hello, and welcome to the Morbid Museum. We are your hosts, Katie Mead and Luke Boyd. Welcome back. Hey, everybody, it's spooky time. <laughs> it's pretty spooky. Spooky <laughs> dookly. It's October. It still is October. And October. Um, on today's pod, we are going to discuss a very delightfully creepy and freaky uh, northeastern subject uh, that Katie and I know well, being East Coast girls ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, this time of year, people, you know, I think New England, New York, Mid-Atlantic, you know, the Northeast especially, we kind of have a hold on like the haunted house vibes. I think only this year did I really officially be like, wow, it's got to be such a bummer to not live in a place where there are seasons this time of year. Because how can you not equate <laughs> spooky season with like, ooh, there's a chill in the air and oh, like, right. living somewhere really old, you know, like all yes. our stuff on the Northeast is so fucking old. It is. And we talked about Key West and how haunted that is. And we know there's places in like New Orleans. We talked about spooky season there, mm -hmm. the, the, uh, the voodoo stuff. Um, but when it comes to New England, you're right. It's that seasonal, that chill, that breeze, that cool air. <laughs> seasonal depression starts. <laughs> well, and also, can I just say for, you know, this is also the time of year when the, you know, basic B armada descends at the local pumpkin patch. Nothing scarier than that. <laughs> <laughs> with their matching booties and their vesties and, and with their, their PSLs and the PSLs. <laughs> and I'm just like, when you were 12 years old, y'all couldn't be dragged to a pumpkin patch. You were too mm -mm. busy, too busy, you know, <laughs> gelling your nails, too busy with your Tamagotchis and your <laughs> I, my friends. I don't know a single soul who went pumpkin picking, apple picking, no kind of picking this time of year till I was well into my 30s and living in suburbia <laughs> yes but i think it's very fetishized for a, for a certain is. for a certain set and it's kind of it kind of came out of nowhere well the apple thing is especially funny because apples actually are already like bad at, by now they're in, at they're done they're done so usually you're going apple picking in your flannel and your thigh high boots and it's 95 degrees out <laughs> <laughs> you're right yeah it's a late summer crop and you're right, the apple often devoid, but it's so often associated. But you know, and we're spicing and cidering because, right, we're at this uh, time, we're already preserving the apple. Yeah. Yes. Healing and the hanging and the witches. Um, anyway. But did I go and get a pumpkin with my kid this weekend? I absolutely did. <laughs> I went to Queens County Farm, had a blast. Oh, it's the best there. It was so interesting. And I had no idea that the Queens County Farm property was once part of the Creedmoor Psychiatric Facility. Oh, I feel like uh, you basically just trip over psychiatric how, facilities wherever you go. <laughs> how did I miss this? How did I miss this? I was going to the pumpkin patch, completely dialing back my urbex for the more basic. <laughs> and I still found Creedmoor. Because I'm telling you, it finds you. That's what it is. <laughs> the pull. The, the the institutional pull is yeah. so strong. The, the ghosts. The ghosts. You. So, yeah. So I was like, okay, yes, this property has been farmed for 300 years, but a couple of those years didn't count. Okay. Creedmoor, mm. that doesn't count. That's okay. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. But anyway, it was a lovely time. So this is also a time of year when we are going to haunted houses mm -hmm. and places. And Kay and I have talked about this a little bit, how museums, we're from the serious museum set, professional. Mm. <laughs> and we, we, we turn our noses up 
at the more oxy oxy schlocky sideshow attraction that is spooky tourism yeah and we sort of accommodate it to get along with it we talked a lot about this with robert the doll but you know that was a year ago for god's sakes um we even remember who was there um me i remember i think about that all the time (laughs) (laughs) yes oh god yep we're not going to talk about my deep dark fears again well you know and i i i made my piece of robert you know, since yeah, then, you guys are in good. You guys are in a good place. We are. We're in good standing. I'm up to date with my letters and recommendations and my priest's blessings and everything else. That <laughs> needs to be. Can I tell you, I'm not even comfortable joking about this right now. It's fine. You can joke about it a little bit. It's fine. It's oh, fine. you idiot. He's coming for your ass. <laughs> anyway, things anyway. are going great for me. Um, but the point the point you're i think you're trying to make is that it's a very it's a very common practice in a lot of museums you see it a lot in like historical house type venues where i know what'll get an extra buck in the fucking door is by having like a medium come and do a spooky event or let's decorate our barn like a haunted house. (laughs) Yes. It's a lot of seasonal bowing and scraping to get your buck, to get you to come in and buy an apple cider donut and, you know, support the museum. So this museum is no exception. Today we're going to be talking about the Eastern State Penitentiary. Mm. Quite the delayed opening there. Uh, (laughs) And so... (laughs) This is a one of the most famous prisons in the world, in case you didn't know. And it was it's been hailed as really the, the world's first penitentiary in the official sense. Situated in Philadelphia in the Fairmount section of town. Um, Katie and I have both been. Yes. And, and it is a little off the beaten path from what you would call old Philadelphia, historic Philadelphia. So it's really that yeah. makes it even creepier, is that it's not like quite on like the most the museum row it is philly. alt philadelphia for most of us we're not going we're not going there our first time you're not going there with the liberty bell you're not going there with you know the with a uh, fish town or whatever you're it's deep cut yeah deep cut deep cut lots of deep cuts um and so anyway uh, we're going to be talking about the history of this prison site which existed for more than 142 years as an active prison facility where people were incarcerated and, you know, they were meant to atone for their crimes against humanity. Um, But then it was abandoned and became a museum 20 years later. And since the 1990s, thousands of people have visited this site. It's like the Alcatraz of the East Coast. It is so popular. So popular. People are obsessed with it. And they have a huge spooky program that happens every October, which we're going to talk about a little later on. God, do they Um, ever, yeah. (laughs) Which I have not done. (laughs) (laughs) I'd rather be on a tour with five other people at 12 p.m. than there at 8 p.m. with like a thousand teenagers. I barely wanted to be there at (laughs) noon during the day. It is a creep. It is a creep. Spectacular visit. It is so uncomfortable there because it's it's not just that it's old and like creepy looking. It's like you think about the people who walked those hallways, the miserable humans who lived there and died there ultimately, and just what a tortured existence they had. Which I'm I know you're going to get into. True, I won't say more than that. No, it's a hard place to be. And you bring up such an interesting point about this idea that we talked about with social history. We're not talking about great men or women of history. We're talking about the the world's worst, the country's worst. (laughs) Yes. But also there there is humanity there and they did suffer, you know, with (laughs) evolving penal philosophies of the 19th century. So I cannot wait to get into this. I'm so excited. We are going to cover a little bit of a lot. (laughs) 
All right. So, of course, we have to start back, you know, hundreds of years before the prison was built <laughs> in the 1820s. Um, it's really fascinating to think about what crime and punishment looked like in this country, just to localize it before the 19th century, like the 1700s, the 1600s, you know, for the first colonial experiences in the East Coast, you know, j- prisons didn't really exist as we understand them today. No, it's so wild. And we did talk about this in the prison ship episode. We didn't have them <laughs> around. Yes. Yes. I was hearkening back to that in my mind, thinking about, you know, the 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 absence of prisons, really. Um, and how if one committed a sin, it was very seen through a Christian lens. You've committed a, a, a Christian sin, a moral sin, yes. and also a sin against, you know, society. And people were dealt with in ways you would experience today at a Renaissance fair. They were pilloried. (laughs) They were put in stocks, a lot of public humiliation. Um, There were things like scarlet letters. Scarlet letters, which we don't hear about often enough. Mm -hmm. Um, My favorite, flogging. Um, Just a good, just a good. (laughs) My drink just went up my nose. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're learning so much today. Oh, dear. Yes. Um, so, and of course the worst thing, if you were a real SOB, they would just hang you. They would, oh, sure. they would just execute <laughs> you. Um, and so jails were often transitory type holding places. You're being held at the local jail, awaiting your trial, or you're awaiting your sentencing. The jail is just a way station to wherever you're going to end up. Whether you, you know, in the British sense, you're going to a penal colony or, you know, you're going to a prison ship in the British America. Um, right. There's no uh, law such thing as like a long term prison sentence it doesn't that's right that's right yeah and there's also of course other institutions which become catch-alls like the debtor's prison which is probably where i would uh, (laughs) (laughs) right now yeah you're working off a debt you are indentured right so there's also that's how we would have met that's how we would have started our podcast in the 18th century (laughs) absolutely just two losers in a in a cell and at the root of it all, something we share is sin. That's what it's all about. We're sinners. Whether we're yeah. poor, we've sinned because that's why we're poor. Um, and we've sinned against God and humanity, and that's why we're, you know, being being hanged or being pilloried. Um, you know, at the same time as the Enlightenment thinkers are like Voltaire and David Hume and others are inspiring men like Thomas Jefferson to write the Declaration of Independence. Other thoughts, schools of thought in Europe are evolving throughout the Enlightenment period in the 18th century, and this leads to the idea of prison reform in Europe. There's this huge issue of crime um, with lower classes often resorting to crime, terrorizing upper classes, upper classes having the power trying to control the lower classes. Mm -hmm. And there's this idea that we have to create a code, a sort of penal code. Um, I got to tell you, there's a great word that's used to describe penal philosophy at this time period no i'm not just laughing at you saying penal several times well it gets better because the word is penology ah. <laughs> anyway fantastic so there's a I lot of in that in college. Yeah. <laughs> i was a minor um i couldn't i couldn't handle it uh, you weren't there yet <laughs> i just i tried uh to dip my toe in but um, anyway, there was a lot of penological discussions and discourse going on in the 19th century as a result of the Enlightenment thinkers. And America's a blank slate. You know, it's a blank, yeah. dirty, sinful slate that needs to be corrected immediately. Um, so with these penal codes comes this idea that, OK, 
there's got to be a sentence, a sentencing that is commensurate with a crime. You know, these crimes were like baby sentences, which I'll list out in just a few minutes, some really fun sentences, not really matching the crimes as we oh, think God. today, <laughs> which is so echoing what you were talking about with kidnapping, how the law's always behind. And that's yeah, not a new thing. A couple hundred years ago, it's comically behind to us now. Um, sure. So what happens is, okay, you have these sentences set up, but it's kind of like the Articles Confederation. There's not enough juice. So you have mm -hmm. people being bounced out of jail every six months or every two years for petty larceny. They're coming back. The punishment is not going to deter them from doing the wrong thing again. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> just preaching to the choir here. Yeah, it's uh, just like, two, uh, oh, two hots and a cot? Great. <laughs> yeah, I'll be back. Right. I'm at, I'm at the asylum because I'm a drunk. I'll be back next year. Sounds um, great. And we've talked about these kinds of theories and concepts so many times now at this point. It's so funny. Oh, um, yeah. But, you know, like we were saying, it's the 18 teens and 20s now when this prison is going to be built. The nation is growing. Cities like Philadelphia are just teeming with people. They're really outgrowing themselves. And we have to sort of engineer this reform to get the lower classes in line, so people would think. And so the people who are in charge, or whether they were part of a benevolent society like a church or a Christian group, mm -hmm. they founded asylums, hospitals, orphanage. You, you have a boom of institutions in sort of the Dickensian backdrop of England and, of course, America and places like that. Yeah, coming out of a great need. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Everybody needs services and help. We don't have the best theories and practices how to do it. There's a lot of goodwill. There's a lot of a lot of positive thought. Sure. A lot of humanism. Some racism mixed in with humanism. I was going to say, to an extent. <laughs> a bit of social Darwinism and fucked up theories just to and, and great clothes to just to make it really charming for us. So the scene is set for Philadelphia to really emerge as one of the first cities to address this problem with a new system. So the money is put aside. The government comes together in Pennsylvania to build the Eastern State Penitentiary. There were experimental, you know, thoughts about how prisons should be run. And there were two competing systems that come up in this time, which is really fascinating. I know. I love this. One is the one we're going to be talking about is the Pennsylvania system or the separate system in which prisoners were housed in solitary confinement, one cell, one prisoner. This was opposed to the Auburn, as in Auburn, New York, the New York State system, or the silent system, in which you have so many prisoners, because New York is so big and dense, you couldn't possibly incarcerate people no. in one cell. One, real estate in New York is bad, whether you're in a prison or in Brooklyn. <laughs> And so you're all together in cells or you're working side by side, you know, and there's physical punishment that is meted out if you disobey the rules. Mm -hmm. So it's really fascinating to think about how Eastern State Penitentiary holds up the Pennsylvania system, which, you know, failed essentially. But let's talk about it. Yeah. Why it failed. Yeah. Yeah. The Pennsylvania system was a product of the Quaker culture. Less their little hearts. Pennsylvania. So lest we forget, y'all, that the mid-Atlantic states have a bit of a funny history. So greater New Jersey, mostly Pennsylvania, um, a little bit of like lower New York. Pennsylvania is founded by William Penn, who was a Quaker. The idea that you're quaking before God, mm -hmm. very religious Christians. And they took hard work so seriously and personal discipline so seriously with the idea that if you strip away sort of uh, worldly, flashy uh, distractions, you can enter into a more you know, intimate relationship with God. Is it any wonder that the Amish find refuge in Pennsylvania, that there's all of this totally. religious religious open you know, openness, mm -hmm. but what also might be seen as sort of primitive or strange or bizarre you know, thoughts and practices? Yeah. 
as compared to the more decadent New York types, you know, or other sinners, <laughs> the Tidewater Virginians, right? Would never yeah, go for this sort of yeah. thing. I love my God, but I also love my brand, you know, and everything <laughs> <laughs> and my slaves. Um, so, <laughs> beside the point. So the idea is that there's going to be moral instruction and Quaker thought entering into the prison system. So Which, can I just for a quick sidebar, you realize yeah. probably almost exactly a year ago, we were talking about the Quakers with spiritualism. We were. We Isn't were. that crazy? These fucking Quakers, uh, man. Mm-hmm. Waking and shaking all over this country. <laughs> we're going back to the Oneida community in just a second. <laughs> Yay! It's it's all about, yeah, utopianism and uh, reform movements. And at the core of it, like you said, it's good intentions. It sounds like this is a great idea, that it's a penitentiary, that yes. it's for penance, right? Yes. The idea is that one will be transformed by being a part of this prison. And so Katie is absolutely right. The word penitentiary that we take for granted was really sort of installed in the meaning of this institution. I, as a prisoner, am going to be alone. I'm never going to see anyone. I'm never going to talk to anyone. I'm going to be employed perhaps with a humble craft like making Mm. shoes or Mm. hand sewing socks, you know, making things with my hands in solitary confinement with nothing else but my thoughts, forcing me to become penitent, to change my ways. So it's a very utopian idea. And the idea is that people are going to be, you know, deterred or transformed in the process of being in this prison. And they certainly were transformed, (laughs) (laughs) but not in the way that the Quaker town fathers uh, intended. It's giving me also like, parenting vibes of like you sit in your room and you think about what you did (laughs) it is it is very time out you know and it is shocking Mm -hmm. to think that in the early years of the penitentiary which opens in 1829 they weren't allowed to write letters they weren't allowed to have visits they were extremely strict in the in because you know there's a lot of theory writing behind this prison concept and pennsylvania is going in on this pennsylvania system and it has to sort of it wants to prove out that the system works so they really double down correct me if i'm wrong and maybe i'm misremembering but i remember when i went on the tour Ben Franklin was like a big proponent of this system, right? Yes. There is a couple of stories that relate to like Benjamin Rush commented on on the process. All the famous pen guys of the time. A lot of our faves from that from that founding era. And that's what we were talking about with, you know, the Declaration of Independence and like also like let's also correct, you know, the the prison system. Um, yeah, the the theory is the the thought is there was a dinner at Ben Franklin's house, you know, and there were these great men gathered around the table and they sort of come up with this idea that this is something we should do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it that's seems just, so modern to them, I'm sure. Yes. And to think about investing money and thought in a waste bucket for bad people. Yeah. For the you betterment know. of all mankind. And that brings us to the idea of utilitarianism, which is what <laughs> this is all about. And the idea here is that the anything that benefits the majority of people is is a positive. So a prison is on the one hand a sort of sacred place where people can be reformed, they can recommune with God, and they can find law again. And then it also reflects outward to the local community saying, hey, don't mess up because you'll be in Mm -hmm. here if you do. So let's try to think about how we're going to build this thing really intentionally, right? So um, the building itself was designed by a man named John Haviland, and it's an imposing structure. It's terrifying, honestly, from the outside. Very spooky. And the inside, but really just when you get there, it's really scary. Right. So when you get to Eastern State, you roll up. It's a it's a 10-acre block of land, a square block. And it's f- surrounded by a 30-foot high castle fence, a wall. 
<laughs> it, it really, it looks medieval. It's, it does. It's so intense. It really does. So it's got castellated, you know, towers on all four corners. It's got two big towers in the front. It looks like something out of Europe. It looks like something out of an English, you know, Tudor period. Um, very imposing, big mm-hmm. stone building. Um, and so again, that facade is meant to have a have a, con- a, a connotation for those entering and those on the outside. Uh, it's grand. It looks very expensive. And of course, it's one of the most complex buildings of its time in the 1820s. People are living in wooden buildings still. Sure, like yeah. Like in stone, maybe, but, you know, uh, a lot of wood structures. So what's interesting is the shape. And when you go there, it's very disorienting because the place has been added on to a thousand times. Because mm-hmm. it was built in 1829, it was open for 140 years, and they had nowhere else to go but the 10 acres, which was carved up by this wheel, this spokes of a wheel, what's called a radial design. So, and you know this from being there, it's very, it's very... A bizarre experience to walk through a cell block, a long hallway in which you've got cells on either side, and then you get to a middle room. And it's very cinematic. In the middle room, there's like eight portals, and they're all the same. And you just kind of you kind of walk around in a circle and you're looking down, you're seeing cell block, cell block going in lines straight out from the center. It's so disorienting and it's so creepy. Like you and I have worked at a variety of institutions and I'm I've never been truly comfortable being alone in a museum space like after a certain time of the day just in general like sometimes it's an empty slow day at a museum and I just don't like being alone there mm-hmm. I don't think I could work I don't think I could work there let alone like I don't like it I literally don't think I could do it I think it's right. so scary in there to say nothing of like the mold and other crap that. Oh God! I mean the rats. God, who knows? Yeah. yeah. So you know it is, and that's the first thing you think about is myself as a human being in this structure. I feel out of place, and it doesn't have like a north, south, east, and west axis that we rely on. It doesn't have any kind mm-hmm. of form that is recognizable to us. But this mm-hmm. was all by design. This all goes to the idea forwarded by one of the utilitarians, Jeremy Bentham, and Jeremy Bentham designed something called the Panopticon, which is a delicious word. Um, And it's sort of like an all-seeing eye, like an eye of Sauron. And the idea is that all of these hallways go off from the middle, and one guard could look down all of these hallways and, in a sense, be watching all of the prisoners. But the prisoners don't know they're being watched. Mm -mm. And that's part of the whole locus of control, that if the prisoner, the prisoner doesn't know they're being watched, but they they know if they do act out, they may be caught. So it's this whole, Mm -hmm. you know, circular logic and it's again, it's og big brother stuff it is yeah it is and um it's very imposing and very scary and but when you're inside those long cell blocks which were designed to hold like 250 people then they were expanded and they were overcrowded each of the hallways is pointed by a long ceiling that's curved it's a very sharp like domed ceiling that goes all the way down to the end and it's very church-like yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. You know, because we're, and with like a depth of field, like how many times have we looked down a nave, you know, and it's like, a, it's not quite a Gothic arch, but it is an, a, a curved arch, which I believe was meant to limit the echoing so Ooh. that we're trying to talk to each other. 
they couldn't. You know, they couldn't be heard. And the walls had to be so thick that you couldn't communicate through the walls because, again, any communication with prisoners, you know, guards, whoever was like strictly prohibited. So prisoners yeah. really were by themselves and the warden would come by and visit or a guard would come by and like wave or say hello or like, you know, tap their baton on the thing or put food through the door. And they'd be allowed outside for like an hour a day in the early years of Eastern State Penitentiary for some exercise in one of the adjacent exercise yards to the cell blocks. It's so such a bleak, bleak existence. It's so yeah. horrible. I can't imagine being so starved for social interaction like that. Yeah. Like the only person who ever speaks to you is a guard who isn't actually going to probably really engage with you. <laughs> right. They're, they're, they're like, their point is to not talk to you. Their point is to not befriend you at all. And apparently the guards would walk down the hallways with stockings over their shoes and boots. So they wouldn't even make a sound. So you couldn't hear them coming. Oh, I didn't remember that story. Ah! Isn't that weird? <laughs> that's, that's spooky. Yeah. Just thinking how big that building is, how silent it would be. Yeah, and the fact that you're sitting alone in a cell, you're basically going insane, right? <laughs> yeah. And then this, like, little ghost person rolls up on you. You never hear them coming. And that, of course, is a great reminder that many of the prisoners in the early years were not supposed to be there because they should have been in another site, another place where their mental health could have been absolutely adjudicated properly, um, treated properly. Um, or the crime they committed was really... Not that big of a deal. <laughs> Not that big of a deal. Not at all. Um, so, of course, when the first cell block is done, the prison is already overcrowded. And so the first three wings are small, but then the next wings they build are like doubling the size. So mm -hmm. the prison is already overwhelmed from day one. And how expensive, critics were already saying, how are you going to have all of these cells and one person in each one that doesn't make financial sense? Yeah. And they were right. I mean, yes. <laughs> A fun fun fact about each state penitentiary is that the site used to be a cherry a cherry orchard. Oh. And so in its early years, it was called the Cherry Hill Prison or just Cherry Hill. That's nice. It's a nice code for <laughs> going to prison. Going to Cherry Hill. Yeah. I got to go pick cherries. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Here we go. The, the part we've been waiting for. I have a uh, document uh, that I've scanned that gives us some sentences from 1829 and 1830. Um, and so, <sighs> Katie Cordian, this is the game where, <laughs> Cordy, me, this is your life. Um, okay. So, if I stole a horse in 1830, how many years would I go to Eastern State Penitentiary? Ten. One. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I went high. Yes. All the set. All uh, these are all going to be low. They're not all to jump low. the gun. Not, yeah. The longest sentence at this at this time isn't more than maybe three to five years, right? You're right. But actually, okay. what I what I saw in the couple documents I saw was, I, and I don't know this for sure. My guess is some of them are weighed more for repeat offense or for extremity. That would make sense. Right. Yeah. So I'm trying to like round. I'm trying to do the average. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah. horse okay. stealing was mostly one year. Highway robbery. This was one eleven years. So I'm thinking this guy was like a big time offender who took tried to take down Wells Fargo and got <laughs> <laughs> you tried to steal the Wachovia wagon. Uh, you're done. <laughs> forgery, two years. Yeah, forgery is bad. So this one, this one document, forgery, and there's so many forgeries. It's just constant forgery. I know. Um, the other big one, of course, is murder, um, which at its at its lowest, two years for murder. So this is where the system gets real wacky <laughs> yeah we're talking about really different mores and different societal 
I don't know, scruples? I mean, thou shalt not kill? Aren't Priorities. we Priorities. We're Quakers. Yeah. Thou shalt not kill. I don't care. Yeah. So anyway, but you in the same- kill me, but don't you dare <laughs> rob my carriage. <laughs> don't, don't you mess with my bank. And so another murder on the same sheet was 12 years. So other side of the coin. Interesting. Maybe that person murdered someone of importance. Or murdered several people. Murdered a few people. Murdered children. <laughs> Yes. Murdered some horses Murdered while the horses stealing a, from a carriage. Right. You also, you, you, you stole a horse from a highway carriage and murdered the driver. 17 years. <laughs> <laughs> and so again, the big one besides forgery is petty larceny or burglary. And it was mostly two years. Cause as we said, we're still in the early years of the, the, the sentence is not really matching the crime in sort of no. the model penal sense um penal logically so how big was the cell the cell was 12 feet long by seven feet and it does and it feels smaller than that when you're there <laughs> what's overwhelming when you go to eastern states you're just walking by so many cells Mm -hmm. A lot of them are really boring. They're like all peeling and gross. And then there's like a random object in one. Like, ah! You know, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them, like you can actually like go into a little bit. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. And and by the way, you left out one of the best things about Eastern State is the audio guide is Steve Buscemi. <laughs> it is the Steve. It is the Bush. He's fantastic. It is the Bush. The uh, Steve Buscemi, I think, worked on a movie with them in like the late '90s, and they had him record the audio guide. I think that's right. It is so good. He's. Great. It is so good, and there's so many art installations and site-specific things they do there. And what I love about it too is that it's a stabilized ruin that you can visit, so it looks like it's still abandoned because they're yeah. they're not doing much to it. They're letting it peel. And that sense of morbidity and dark tourism pervades the scene like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. And it is one of the dark tourism, like, top ten attractions, you know. In that oh, yes. Because of the access you get to. For it's sure. incredible. It's also always on, like, the top haunted places in America list. It too. is. It is. So it's got a lot of significance attached to it and a big following, um, yeah, which big I just love. What I love also about the cell's design is that, you know, they have a single skylight at the top. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and they called it the eye of God. Yep. <laughs> Even God is watching you, peasant prisoner. When it, when it rains on your head, it's God crying over your crimes. <laughs> Just like, and I'm like, what if a guy was like Muslim? Be like, get the... <laughs> like, God, enough, enough. whatever you believe. <laughs> right. I'm Zoroastrian. Okay. Um, <laughs> so again, the prisoners were visited by the wardens, by the chaplains. They did a lot to try to engage people. And you had some examples of compassionate, benevolent type, you know, prison overlords. But for the most part, they were pretty sadistic and pretty strict. <laughs> um, what I love is their crafts, the craftsmanship. So like, again, this is like 1820s aesthetic. It's already behind. Um, shoemaking, weaving. If you were a, a mason, like a builder, you would work. They'd put you to work because you got to build that building. Mm -hmm. um, the cells were either fantastically hot in the summer or ridiculously freezing in the winter. Um, the plumbing was seen as <laughs> cutting edge, of course. Um, <laughs> but it uh, it was not good. Um, <laughs> Great. The plumbing was horrible. Um, well, I mean, in 1820, it was 
it was Cham- chamber gravity. pot out it was the window. Gravity, right. So yeah. you've got you've got pots in every a pot in every chicken, right? You got you've got nope. <laughs> You're like a hundred years early. You <laughs> you've got a pot in every cell, and those cells are all connected to a long tube, a series of tubes before the internet, and they only flushed the tubes once or twice a week. <laughs> So there would often be an awful stench that would get backed up into the cells that the prisoners had to deal with. I thought you would appreciate I, that anecdote. <laughs> I don't know if you can feel the warmth, the glow coming off me right now. <laughs> I feel so alive. <laughs> yes. So thankful for modern plumbing. Um, and what's amazing to me, Katie, is that we, we've hit this, hit this a couple of times. The things that people would visit in the 19th century, people loved visiting Eastern State Penitentiary, like the Richies, those who were going on a grand tour might just, oh, let's go see that that little that that prison where they have those filthy people who are in those little cells. Thousands of people visit Eastern State Penitentiary in the early decades. Like a zoo. Like a zoo. Weird. But they did this everywhere. They went to factories. You know, that is like, true. let yeah. me see this machinery you have. And they're like, yes, of course, Mr. Carnegie, come, <laughs> you know, come, Mr. Vanderbilt, come inside, you know, and was like the writers. Hope of, like, sorry, Luke, was the yeah. hope of getting like benefactors, like people to put money into it, maybe? Well, that's the thing. It's like all of the, you know, the only reason we really know about this is because a lot of them were writers or reporters, you know, who are like mixed into the crowd. Like, you know, you're saying Clemens types Mark Twain. In this case, Charles Dickens visits Eastern State Penitentiary, our buddy, uh, Alexis de Tocqueville, one of uh, my great historical uh, heroes, um, visits. I don't know if Poe did, but it would be around his time. That's something Uh, worth investigating because he had a house in Philly. He did, yeah. Yeah. And anyway, he did, yeah. It was mad, mad Poe energy, regardless. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's just like so funny to me the things that people would go to. So if we have more of these Victorian passion tourism projects, please let me know. Um, yeah. Mental yeah. hospitals. I mean, same thing. It's literally all of these things orphanages, asylums. They would all be visited by hopefully a grand lady who would write, cut a check or say something nice to a senator who's also her friend to be like, oh, I've been there. It's lovely. Sure. You know, but the radial design, even though it was already flawed, was becoming was lauded was lauded and supported and was very influential. And the claim to fame is that 300 other prisons were built with the system. Yeah, it was like the the perfect model it for was, this particular system. It's, it, was it's bell, crazy. it was the bell of the ball attached to a chain attached to your ankle. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but swiftly, with the rise of Eastern State comes the fall. Within five years, there are investigations. 18- Everyone <laughs> <laughs> goes, wait. Wait. This is actually really bad. Right. John John Q, John Quaker taxpayer, is saying, <laughs> what the hell are we doing? Uh, excuse my French. What yeah. the age of hockey sticks are we doing? Anyone with even the slightest interest in human psychology goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> and the big problem is the money talks. The costs were seen as it was a very expensive prison to upkeep. Yep. Solitary labor is challenged as not a redemptive you know, means to bring a prisoner back. The end, it just didn't seem to work. Um, there also were charges of abuse of prisoners. Yeah. Charges because... of embezzlement from the prison funds. Yeah. Cruel and unusual punishment. Solitary confinement is arguably cruel and unusual punishment in and of itself. Unless you are a danger to others yes. directly, uh, it. I really can't see any real reason for it on earth. 
It yes. is horrendous to do that to a human being. You're so right. And can you imagine if you messed up in this prison, which was already very cruel, one would argue, many did, what did they do to you? So one was they put you in a dark punishment cell, which was which, like in a, in a cellar or in a really dark place. You'd be there for weeks with like, like very little. Yeah. You think you can't get worse. <laughs> yeah. D d go ahead. You, know, you got darker and colder. You got rats going to bite my ass at night. Great. Cool. Let's do that. Perfect. <laughs> Fuck you, asshole. Um, so that was that's but like, of course, you know, the, the reports of people being being starved, um, you know, and there were women in the prison about between five and 10 percent at a, any given time. They were eventually women were eventually housed separately. I but forgot that. Yeah. Yeah. And they also were subjected to ridiculous sexual crimes. Of course. Uh, from the guards. Um, another Which, one. Were there even prison sentences for that? <laughs> talk about talk about bleak because like the prisoners you have no rights you no. know we're still debating whether prisoners have the right to vote after they get out of prison. Yeah, I mean, what are your rights yeah i um, have nothing that and you lose no. everything you lose your property you lose all your rights in the pantheon of uh dark things people did to one another the water baths was a popular one in eastern state in which oh, cold yeah. water would be poured on a naked prisoner from a great height and apparently there were reports of you know prisoners being being so cold, there were icicles forming on their body. Um, one of the darker ones that really gives me the skeevies is the iron gag, mm. which is a really bad one. So it's kind of like a horse bridle, yeah, like a steel thing that goes into your mouth, goes over your mouth, right? Like, like you know, between your lips and your teeth. Yeah, li literally like a bridle. Yeah, and your hands are tied behind your back and attached to the gag. So, of course, your hands are tied in such a way they're up. Your hands are up. You want to pull your hands down to relieve the tension on your muscles. And as you do that, you are stressing out the muscles in your jaw. Your jaw and your cheeks. And yes. And people died from that. Um, really horrible. Uh, just just terrible. That is absolutely disgusting. Ugh. Really bad way to go. Um, and... In 1842, Charles Dickens remarked what you said about, you know, solitary confinement being the punishment itself. That's the worst. The prisoner is a man buried alive to be dug out in the slow round of years. The idea oh. that we're just locking these people in a box and just letting them waste away and not even really giving a care about their their quality of life. Whew. And the bottom, bottom line, Katie, is that Eastern states system did not appear to affect recidivism rates. People came right back. Yeah. Or they committed a crime in a better state with a better prison. <laughs> Get me out of here. Take one me lesson, the one lesson they learned, don't commit crimes in Pennsylvania. <laughs> Take me to Sing Sing. At least I have fun there. I get beat up, but I have fun. <laughs> Christ almighty. I could talk. <laughs> I can talk. I can talk. Um, so... As the years go by, the like many things in the 1820s, they're immediately out of fashion as soon as they're like built or discovered. Um, America's cities again are swelling with more immigrants. We've got free blacks coming from the south, um, rising tensions and fears of the other and the poor. We've got industrialization. So you've got your 
your tradespeople, the guys who would make the shoes in the real world, they're being they're being obliterated by factories and all this new labor coming in to supplant them. So they would argue. And there's a great deal of Pennsylvania racism that exists. Like it's the Northeast again, which the myth is that there is no racism here or less. Pashaw. Pashaw. So 20 to 50 percent of all the inmates at Eastern State were black. And this was so disproportionate to the actual population. So it, it was not matching with the actual rate of, you know, population with folks of color. So weird, because that sounds like right now. <laughs> Grand tradition, to be sure. Um and, you know, filling those ranks are also the Germans, the Italians, the Irish, the Catholics who are settling into the ghettos of Philadelphia, who are finding some work in the in the in the in the factories. Mm -hmm. um, but they're also getting squeezed out by unfair labor practices by folks who run garment factories like the ones we talked about in the triangle. Yeah. Um, and all of this just creates a culture of crime that mm -hmm. is just seen as this bleeding emergency. Um and so by the time we get to the 1840s, most of the country is looking at the Auburn system, which, you know, is, indus is an industrialized prison system where you have now prisoners working in factories built in the prison or shops built in the prison. The prisoners are, you know, today they're making license plates. They're doing something that mm -hmm. contributes to the society, you know. And the prison itself, it's you're reducing your overhead. It's effective. Exactly. It it makes more economic sense. They're uh, doing the laundry. They're doing the cooking. They're doing things for the prison, for the prisoners. You're absolutely right. More self-sustaining, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mount McGregor. Yeah. Let's uh, <laughs> 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 not. <laughs> anyway, so um, in the 1850s through the 80s, um, inmates at Eastern, you know, they, they would begin to get laxed. They would allow prisoners to work together to learn a shoe. You know, old man Joe, who's been here for 35 years, he'll teach the new boy how to make shoes. Um, so they loosened <laughs> a little bit. Um, Loosen and, the laces. Yep. <laughs> you know, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s of, of uh, 1800s, they're uh, opening more cell blocks. They're filled now with 1,400 prisoners, which is a lot. Um, and they're stacked three or four deep in a cell. So within, and we haven't even hit the 1900s yet. Is no, that what you said? No. Yeah, well, yeah. Crazy. By the time we get to 1894, we're almost totally built up, and now we've got three or four deep in a cell. It's completely overcrowded. Oh, four in a cell. So it was really just the numbers. The prison could not keep up with the need to incarcerate people. Um, and what's interesting is that a new system comes on the scene, and it's known by many historians as the Irish system, because we know a thing or two about dealing with undesirables and <laughs> ne'er-do-wells and criminals. <laughs> Don't buy, we? Buy them a pie? Yeah, we sent them all to this country. Um, so <laughs> the Irish system, which I really didn't understand was attributed to the Irish, and I'm not quite sold on that, but um, mm -hmm. the idea is that- What are we a, being blamed for? What did we do? What, what do we do now? Don't give me credit because I'm not sure it's a good thing. Um, the idea is that you work through levels of freedom. Oh, yeah. Very similar to what we know today. You get privileges. Yes. Good behavior is rewarded, and eventually you work yourself up to a parole, which is a new concept in this, in this evolving penological um, zeitgeist. So- these new liberal practices are brought into Eastern State. You know, over the years, they had teachers who were there who would teach them bookkeeping and elementary math and, you know, different languages. Um, by the 1880s, they could finally send letters to their loved ones and have visits. Can you imagine? 60 years later, they had a library activated, which I love a prison library moment. Um, 
don't we all? And by the time oh, we Brooks. get ah! there, it is. There it is. There it is. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Sorry. It's so true. It all goes back to Andy Dufresne. God damn. Always. Always. That movie, Superstation, oh. anytime it came out. PN yeah. to the motherfucking T. This <laughs> <laughs> TNT. They're all the same in my mind. Like I can't, I, I could not possibly untangle the film rights of like I the nineties. But it was insane the movies that would come on these networks. It was anyway. Shawshank, then <laughs> the Patriot, then <laughs> basically every movie we've covered so far. Says a lot. Okay, it does. We peaked. Um, so by the time we get to the twentieth century, now we're zooming through time. We're adding the parole system to Pennsylvania proper, so the the prison is updated, and we're really getting to a more there's more criminology, there's more thinking evolving in terms of how we deal with prisoners. Um, things like literacy programs are added. A trade school is built with sh- a shop building, and a hospital is built. And the hospital wing is one of the things you can see when you visit uh, Eastern State. That's right, um, I forgot about that. One of the things that moved me was the synagogue at Eastern State. That's right. It is so powerful. Oh wow! I I was there in twenty sixteen. That was when I was there. So it's been a minute. So there's a lot of stuff that I don't remember. But now that you said that, I definitely do. There are yeah, very there's a few moments I recall, and that was one of them. Yeah, Um, like if I bought a postcard of of like the the synagogue, like that helps like solidify the memory. Yeah. Um. So public worship comes around the twentieth century. Now we can gather Mm -hmm. in you know. Other denominations can gather. Catholics can gather. You know, there's there's chaplains, there's priests. Um, it's really becoming more of a modern prison, you know, that we could recognize today. Um, and the Panopticon, you know, sort of center room now has a big watchtower. And there's watchtowers on the corners. And it looks more like, you know, Alcatraz. Yes. Um, as it's as it's evolving. And now, by the time we get to the early 20th century, solitary confinement is the punishment for bad behavior. It is not... The, it is not the norm. It is the exception. Mm-hmm. And that's that shows you the complete 180 that happens in um, mm-hmm. in this. And that's what I love about it, too, is that it's a failed system. It was famous, but it was like, psh, it didn't work, you know? Yeah. Um, and that takes to the last decades where it's really kind of just going down, man. It's a long-term Titanic situation. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the buildings are crumbling. They're not, doing, they're not, they're not doing well. No. And it's so interesting that, you know, theoretically, they've stepped back from more of that real corporal punishment. There aren't like really yeah. physical punishments at this point on the books. <laughs> we know True. that True. there's gross injustice and abuse by authorities in prison, of course. But yeah. And those complaints never go away. There's no. always somebody who is acting acting up, always a power dynamic situation, horrible miscarriages of, of civil rights um, that are happening in any prison landscape. And this is no exception. Um, and that gets us to what happens in the Roaring Twenties in Eastern State. Um, Eastern State was the party. That's where it was at. So, um, Heroin, lots of heroin going yes. on at Eastern State. You've yes, got yes, you've yes. got really naughty, naughty inmate behavior. You've got gambling. You've got violence, and you have because the 1920s whiskey stills built yeah. in <laughs> the prison. Yeah, <see? laughs> yeah, great for distilling. Yeah, the eye of God. See the angel share goes right up there. Wow, wow, how can you do? Um, 
<laughs> and of course, prostitution, uh, among other Hooray! things. Oh, all unveiled in various investigations. Oh, the um, 20s were so fun. <laughs> they were. They were. Um, but as we were saying about the terrible sexual abuse, women were finally oh. removed <laughs> from the Eastern State Penitentiary in the late 1920s. I meant fun for everyone else, I, yeah, not I know. anyone. It was the next <laughs> bullet in the outline. I'm sorry. So <laughs> no transition power whatsoever. Um <laughs> But yes, it sounds like a fun time. I said it was the party. It was the party. But there also were terrible things that happened to people. On the sure. Um, so calls for closure are beginning as early as 1915. The, the prison is barely a century old. There's a new prison called Greaterford, which is built outside Philadelphia proper. And about 800 people just get dumped on Greaterford in the first couple of years. Um, so really the more disruptive inmates, the bad ones, the bookies, the ones running the gin joints, the ones doing all the bad stuff, they were sort of boated off the island. Um, hmm. And they went to Greaterford, which must have been a real party. Um, oh, God. I want to go there. <laughs> and <laughs> Greaterford sounds great. Um, <laughs> ESP becomes a maximum security facility for repeat offenders into the <laughs> 1930s. And some of the wardens there were kind of famous for their really draconian measures. Um, mm. There were hunger riots, hunger strikes and riots in response to the, the treatment at Eastern State in the 20th century. One of the wardens had a system, a thing called the Klondike, which was a, a really, really another name for the solitary cell. It was like a frozen cell with you, you were put in there with no clothing. Um, toss them in the Klondike. Fun story, kind of a myth. In 1924, Governor Gifford Pinchot and friend of the American Forest System uh, sentenced a cat murdering dog. His his dog. Oh, that's right. His dog was sentenced to a life sentence at Eastern State Penitentiary. The dog's name is Pep. <laughs> Pep. I forgot about poor Pep. Pep, you've been a bad boy, Pep. Um, <laughs> you've been licking out of the water, the water in the toilet bowl. Um, and so order. apparently Pep was a beloved dog that Gifford put in jail as like a as like a stunt as like a political stunt but the the story grew that it was a bad dog and of course mm -hmm. the dog was given a mugshot with like mm -hmm. an eastern state badge on it and it's a mean looking dog mm -hmm. not for he's nothing smoking a cigarette he's got a tattoo he's got like actual <laughs> furrowed brows like he's like giving like judd in oklahoma i'm like he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna kill me he's scary to look especially because you sent him to jail yeah he's yeah he's cool and of course guy. he's like he's like he's a god's gift to a gift shop of Pet. course Forget yes. that image plastered on every mug and postcard from here to kingdom come. Get me a stuffed pep for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody, <laughs> anybody. So the veracity of peps incarceration is debatable, um, but it's a fun story. And Love another it. fun story that sometimes obscures the larger story of Eastern state is that of Al Capone. Um, yeah. Our buddy Al Scarface was in Eastern State for eight months, but like any place that guy touched, you know, any museum, any place that has a history connection to Al Capone, you know, uses it to great advantage. And Eastern State does that. They have furnished Al Capone's cell in the manner in which he may have known in 1929. It's one of my favorite things ever, where it's so very much what you just said. It's fashioned in the way that it may be perhaps. <laughs> when he was here for the 10 minutes he was here <laughs> but it works it works because i went there thinking wow this is where al capone was and it's like mm -hmm. wait a minute 
Right. He apparently, you know, had a had a had a gun charge that finally stuck. Yes. Um, some people think he was actually sort of lamming it through prison. Yeah. Like because the, the Valentine's Day massacre had just happened. And so he yeah. was trying to like get off the heat. So he comes back east. Um uh do a quick stint. Do a at quick Eastern. stint. At Cherry Hill. Hey, babe. Babe, my Cherry Hill. Come on, I got two beds. Let's go put them together. Let's go. He apparently the warden at Eastern State loved Al. You know, so there's a radio, a beautiful cathedral radio oh, in yeah. this like in this now painted cell. There's a little bit of carpet. There's I'll put little, it this way. comfy chairs. Yeah. It was nicer than my first apartment in Manhattan. <laughs> Huge. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's really, really nice. <laughs> right. It's very Bushwick. You know, it's very industrial. <laughs> you know, it's got a lot of character, but, you know, some nice accent chairs. Um, a little cold in the winter, but it's fine. A little chilly, um, but apparently a comfortable cell that was enjoyed by Al. And so that story is told there with the, the brilliant audio guide. Eastern State, of course, was a fortress, but there were more than 100 escape attempts in its life cycle. And it was known that in the 1930s, more than 30 tunnels were dug. 30 individual tunneling attempts were done underground. So great. Which to me is so reminiscent of like the great escape, you know, mm-hmm. when you have these European guys in, in Germany trying to escape mm-hmm. the prisoners of, yes. <laughs> but I couldn't, I would, I would die in the prison. I could never go into a tunnel. Nope. I could never, nope. I could never be Charles Bronson on like the skateboard, like going through the, tr- no. Heck no. I'm dead. You guys can't see, but I am fervently shaking my head no. <laughs> I'm dead. If I get a coffee ground on my lip, I'm dead. I can't deal with dirt around my face. <laughs> <laughs> like, I am so dead. I'm just like, no. So <laughs> I'm just barely getting through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, and oh. I'm in a car and oh. very safe. Hyperventilating. Like, can't. yeah. The NPR goes off, and I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> The, uh, N- the NPR goes off. Now I'm imagining you digging through a prison tunnel like, oh, no. <laughs> My prairie home companion. When have you already, Sergeant Pembrey? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so in the 1940s, 1945, again, syncing up with World War II, um, more than 10 men escape Eastern State Penitentiary in the most famous daring escape that's been known as the uh, the Willie Sutton escape or the Clarence Kleindienst escape. Car- Clarence Kleindienst was the prisoner who dug the tunnel. Willie Sutton was perhaps the most famous prisoner who got out. He was a very famous bank robber. Um, and Clarence, the mastermind, creates a hole in his cell. And just like in Escape from Alcatraz, he conceals the hole, works on it for over a year. They dig a 97-foot tunnel underneath the prison. 97. And just knowing you you dig that much, and then you got to go all the way back and then out back to your cell. You dig to 86 feet, you still got to go all the way back. You know what I mean? Like, you got to go all the way in. Uh, uh, I can't. Um, and in 2005, they did an excavation. They dug down, and the tunnel was <gasps> still there. Oh, I didn't remember that. Oh, my God. Great. It's crazy. Um, so, because uh, they filled it with dirt, of course, but the 97 feet of tunnel. And so what they had is these wooden, like, shims, like, holding up the tunnel infrastructure. Of course. And they dropped down this camera, and you can see a good part of, like, like lengths of the tunnel are still visible. And there was lighting down there. They had an electrified boo. They somehow got. <laughs> They somehow hacked into the ESP power grid and got lights down. Like, imagine, like, you're in the warden's office, like, the lights, like, dimming on your reading lamp. (laughs) It's 3 a.m. What's going on? Really freaky, um, but a very famous story. And that's another one of the more sensational reasons people come is for Al, is for the Willie Sutton escape, those daring moments of history, kind of obscuring the bigger message of the place. Um, 
Yes, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, another element of this is that segregation was practiced at the site until 1960. Mm -hmm. In 1954, it gets a rebrand. It becomes the State Correctional Institution at Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Correctional, that's the word we use now. In the 50s, there was a death row that was added, although no one was executed there. But more than 1,500 people did die there by nature of their incarceration. Yeah. It did make me feel slightly better that no one had actually been executed there. Yeah. I was like, I was like, okay. <laughs> You can eliminate that fear trauma from the site. Yes. <laughs> There's enough darkness all there. there. There's yeah. enough darkness there. Plenty. 1,500 people perished? Okay. Yeah. And so by 1970, uh, the place is pretty much emptied. All the Most of the prisoners go to Greatford. And in 1971, it's abandoned. It's just left to yeah. rot. And in the course of its lifetime, there were more than 85,000 people imprisoned at Eastern State Penitentiary. It's wild. And it, I think I remember on the audio tour, they even have some excerpts from prisoner accounts, right? Mm. Like, didn't we get to hear some Oral of their history. voices? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. feel like some of the last prisoners, especially. Yes. Like the last day and like walking out. Yeah. What that was like and like the lights going out. Yes. Um, the, or, the, the oral histories are very rich. And it is very recent where it's the last 50 years, so you can still access that. The most salient thing about Eastern State that we haven't really talked about is that it is a living comment on the state of mass incarceration in this country today. That is its big idea. That is mm -hmm. its reason to be. That is its meaning, is that it forces us to confront the prison system. Yeah. In 1970, there were 200,000 people imprisoned in this country. Today, there are more than 2 million people imprisoned in this country. That is just so grim. I mean, the question, are we doing it right? Are we doing anything right? Is any right being good here, being done here? Are people being unfairly targeted? Are our laws commensurate with this system? The fact that we have a prison industrial complex. Very problematic. Prisons are commodified. Yes. Um, it's horrifying. And we yeah. see this really poignantly portrayed in things like Orange is the New Black and things like that. And, you know, what's really fascinating about Eastern State is that most of us do not have a connection to a prison, to a penitentiary. Mm -mm. We, we no. well, The law of averages is that most of us aren't criminals. Most of us are not part of that minority. And many people, you know, loved ones are, they are themselves. But this allows us to engage with that morbid that taboo in a way that is provocative, that is a little bit of tourism and fun, but has that really powerful message attached. So in the 1990s, this historic site and museum opens to the public, um, a stabilized ruin. So they're trying to make sure it doesn't fall apart, but they're really doing a limited restoration. They're not putting fresh coats of paint on things. They're letting no. things kind of decay um, and become really, I think, more, more provocative and meaningful in their decay. Absolutely. I would oh. I would be bothered if they had tried to renovate mm -hmm. it. Like I love seeing its stages of decrepitude, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. It has a life cycle. Yeah. And in preservation, we we fetishize the new paint, the the the, the restored this, the restored that. But yeah. it's like, yeah, bring on the broken glass, bring on the forlornness of this. Cause why would we try to uplift this structure? I remember in that when you're standing in that center space that you talked about, mm. there were hallways that you couldn't 
that were like completely cordoned off because they were in such horrendous disrepair. Like it was too dangerous to go over there. Like trees growing through them. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, Really, really not safe spaces to be. And of course there's like hard hat tours you can do and like all kinds of other levels. Um, But you know, the idea is that it's a site where there's been pain, there's trauma, there's death, there's suffering, and that imbues it with a morbidity that attracts people. And with ghostly thoughts and all of those things. Mm -hmm. And, And as Eastern State, you know, museum workers, they want everybody to come to their spot. They're casting a wide net. It's a big tent, as it were. Yeah. Um, They want everybody to come, but they hope that whether you come for a spooky night or for a daytime tour, the message resonates with you. Um, So it has a really powerful message of, you know, understanding criminal justice reform and social justice and the failures of the prison system. And you see see a lot of young people visit, you know, with schools and with college programs, you know, people entering first responder sort of worlds, things like that. My favorite thing about it was the big graph. That's, I think that's everybody's. <laughs> Come on. Um, because so, you go through this whole place, yes. this whole space, and it, you're so overwhelmed. You're very much having that, like, what would it be like experience mm. as you walk around in there. You're hearing real individuals tell their stories. You've just walked past a fucking neutral loaf and all of these horrors that like <laughs> exist within these walls and then you walk out to their yard of mm-hmm. the prison and you're confronted with this huge disturbing infograph yeah this steel bar chart that shows you the the levels of mass incarceration as they've evolved over time and I believe the chart is such that the last red bar, which is like today, mm-hmm. which of course is the highest bar showing you the drastic you know, uptick from like the 50s to today, mm-hmm. um, it is built so that the steel can keep sliding mm-hmm. up to like 2030. <laughs> so <sighs> we're getting there. And I think it was probably installed maybe 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, it's that. It's also they break it down by uh, statistics of race Mm. and ethnicity of uh, gender. And then the other one is the one of the different countries and their incarceration. Yes. Do you remember that one? Yes. Because America of course leads the way with that as well. We are shockingly high and we are right up there with like fucking Korea (laughs) and all of these countries that we would consider barbaric and horrible, full of human rights violations. And we are right up there with them. That's it. That's it. And, you know, prison life is always been kept separate from the populace. But mm-hmm. now that's more so than ever in terms of physical location. You know, you think about where modern prisons are, they're really tucked away and they're, you know, they're not places you can just roll up to with your parasol in 1895 anymore. Um, they're really scary places and they're places that we would never be caught near. Again, talk about General Grant's house and how people, oh, they started visiting more when the jail closed. Like, yeah, like, that's the thing. Even just even just the visage yeah. of that prison being there when we went to the Grant mu- Museum, the Grant Cottage, it just you don't like being near one. It's confronting and yeah. negative and it's charged and uh yeah, like you're looking at a building and you see those windows and it's like there's eyes looking at you and yeah, it's mm-hmm. uh, very imposing. It's a place you God forbid should ever end up in. It's full of people that you are genuinely afraid of. <laughs> right. It's very scary. Um, So the experience itself is one that should be had by by all, um, whether Mm -hmm. you are into this stuff or not. It's got something for everybody, and it's really provocative and meaningful. 
and unique. So what else would you want for in a museum experience? And in terms of our more buddies, this is right up your street. And Philly is underrated. It's got a lot going on, as we know. Oh, God, I love Philly. That was always on my list of cities I would move to if... I could ever get the fuck out of New York, which yeah. I seemingly can't. <laughs> well, it's, and it's very manageable. Yeah. And, you know, um, it's a fun Yeah. Place. So the last thing we're going to talk about really is the terror behind the walls, mm-hmm. which is the, <laughs> the thing Katie and I have not done, which is the evening experience at Eastern State when the lights go down. I have two strong opinions about it. One is I think it's a little tacky. Oh, yeah. Given what the place is. Yep. And two, I'm also scared. <laughs> It's terrifying. Now, I have unique, you know, authority here, Katie. I have authority. So you do. when I, I know. when I worked in Virginia with the National Park Service, I was very poor. And I took on a job at a haunted house at the crime <laughs> at the Museum of Crime and Punishment in Washington, oh, that, DC. Oh God, that's right. <laughs> I forgot about your dark past. This is before we met, but it is an Instagram. So um, there was like a hundred bucks a night and I was cast as this like doctor character. I pretty much got to make my own costume. So what did I have? I had a bloody apron and Mm -hmm. Hannibal Lecter face mask. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I was just a jump scare. So like all the galleries were turned off with like strobe lights and like people were just, they're just terrified and they're forced to walk through this serpentine pathway with all these curtains and they finally get to your room. And the great thing was you would just hear them. They'd be like, oh God, what's going to happen? What's happening? Where are we? And then I would just get up from behind the kind of like, ah, and like throw <laughs> a, like a plastic limb at their direction. And they would just freak out. And it was so fun. <laughs> it was the most fun. <laughs> it was your David S. Pumpkins ears. <laughs> at the Museum of Crime and Punishment, which is no longer open. And it's where they used to film no. America's Most Wanted. So yes. it was like, it was the coolest museum. It was like part of like um, China to greater Chinatown, where you actually have a lot of paid attractions in Washington. Um, mm-hmm. And it had a wax figure of um, J. Edgar Hoover in the lobby. It had Ted Bundy's um, uh, love bug in the lobby. Did you almost say Herbie the love bug? <laughs> It was white. It was really like I see the number fifty three on it. I okay. get it. I get it's it. It's hard reconciling. Okay. Um, Don't you dare drag that car into his crime. Too late. Um, he was a nice little guy. He was a sweet baby. So that was really fun. So the terror behind the walls is that, but like for real, there are three hundred actors who then go into the prison. They are made up by twenty makeup artists in two hours. They have this huge infrastructure that. That the terror behind the walls takes over 60% of Eastern States operating budget as a museum comes from terror behind the walls. It's really bad. It's really (laughs) profitable. It's really bad that it requires that. No, it funds the museum. No, that's what I'm saying. It requires <laughs> yes. that. I know. No, no, no. And that they, are, they are shackled to it like so many imprisoned people. They are <laughs> never getting rid of that thing because it is so popular and it's one it's voted among the top haunted house experiences in the country. Yeah, and like in the I would say possibly the world, yeah. depending <laughs> on the list. Yeah, it's very highly rated and it does very well. And so the museum Would you ever? I would never. I would. If the situation arose, if I was, yeah, there for a weekend or something and someone really wanted to go, I'd be like, sure, I'll I'll document it. I'll document it. I, I don't would... do I don't do haunted houses. I cannot. I haven't it's done one in a long time, but yeah, it's funny how things like that, like flying and haunted houses, somehow some some get better <laughs> as you get older, some get worse. Um, yes, <laughs> depends on who you are. True. I also like. I just like the idea of like, I would hate to work it, 
but I would appreciate like, oh, they did a really good job. See that girl on the headset? She knows what she's doing. She's good. She answered the Oh, question. she's really good. She told her to shut the fuck up. She, she took care of that baby. She she, she, she kicked out that service dog. She did what she had to do. Well, you also have your other experience, didn't you tell us when you were working for the Mark Twain house when you were doing oh, your yeah. seances? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would do, yeah, I would try to conjure Mark Twain on a tour. That was so really this is your bag, baby. I was really fun. Yeah, I love a ghosty moment. Um, because <laughs> I'm not really a believer, so I'm not really that I know moved that's by. why, yeah, that's why you're not as scared as I am, <laughs> as we've firmly established on this yeah, podcast. Right, right. And you know, Robert and I have a understanding. You know, mm-hmm. I, I walk in both worlds. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us to today, you know, uh, 220,000 people visit every single year. Um, there are wonderful. Doc- great numbers. Great yeah. numbers. Very robust. Great mm-hmm. tourism site. Um, but it also has some teeth. It's got some real power to it. And, uh, you know, the National Park Service runs the Alcatraz site in uh, San Francisco. Yes. And um, so all of these sites do really well. And um, Katie and I have worked at some smaller museums. We know that in any museum that has a, a tie to a jail or a prison or crime and punishment, they, they, they usually try to augment it or highlight it because it usually is relevant to the history of justice of a, t- of a town or law and order oh, yeah. of a town, or it has that more sensational quality, which is always very desirable. People love a jail. I remember I went to like some place in Maine and a lot of places in New England. It's spelled funnily, it's spelled G A O L. G what? G- so like the old jail with a G. Like jail. Yeah, the old gowl. Yeah, the old gowl. Like I remember the first the old time. Gowl. Was the Irish system, right? I remember like the first time I w- went there with my family, like, the old gowl. And it was like the old jail. I'm like, oh. Uh, oh, the jail. <laughs> of course, the jail. Um, yeah, I knew that. But of course, listeners, we entreat you to take this message home with you and to think about it. I, of course, would uh, encourage anyone to visit Eastern State Penitentiary. Check out their website. Um, there's some great YouTube videos. Like they did, a, they had a video of the archaeology team cracking into the Willie Sutton Tunnel in 2005, which I watched in preparation for the podcast. Not wait to watch that. So good. Um, it's a really great site, and it, it kind of sucks you in. And once you kind of hear about Eastern State, you kind of can't stop thinking about it until you go. It's one of those places that kind of gets in your head. Um, yeah. But thank you for uh, allowing us to take you on this virtual experience inside mm. the penitentiary. Luke, thank you so much for doing this. We've Since we started the show, we've talked about wanting to hit this at some point. And mm. I'm so glad that you finally did um, during spooky season, especially. It has made me really want to go back. Because I remember, I remember when I went, I was like, I never want to come here again. And now I'm like, <laughs> no, I kind of do now. <laughs> it's kind of overwhelming when you first go. I I felt it's a lot. I felt deep sorrow. I felt intensely creeped out. Yeah. Like the only comfort I had was Steve Buscemi in my ear. <laughs> it's so good. Like literally one of the best audio guides I've ever been on fantastic it's really good yeah, yeah. can't yeah, really say well enough done. good things about that and that and i believe that's actually your besides doing a paid like tour guide tour it's your only option to go through you can't just casually walk through i think you have no, to have an audio guide you have to have some kind of assistance yes you really won't know what the fuck you're walking in if you didn't have it anyway it's not like a, it's not yeah. like your standard museum where there's tons of information written everywhere and it's very selective you know, and very what surprised me was the art i think i was there in 2019 maybe early 19 okay and that's spring. And I remember because they had just done this thing about prisoners 
it was a it was a film series made by prisoners about prison life. And it was projected oh, on the walls of the cells. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, and I was like, it was one of those things where it was like towards the end of the program. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. But I'm like, so filled. Like I couldn't, yeah. like, I couldn't really, like I, like I listened, I tried to like engage. I'm like, oh, cause they had like women's stories as well. And you know, sure. and it, you know, played a lot with like, you know, gender norms and stereotypes. And I think it was a lot of it was women's stories. Cause it was a real rejoinder to the overwhelmingly male story of Eastern state. Um, of course. You know, and, yeah. And the outsized role men have in the, the mass incarceration in general yeah. <laughs> in the world. I even, yeah. even the prison system is patriarchal. Um, you can't even let us have that. No, you can't. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of like other beats to it that I would recommend. You know, like yeah, like certain things like the synagogue really hit me. And then there was this uh I don't know if I saw this or if it wasn't really good to see during the day when I was there, but there's this the Catholic priest the chaplain had an office, and one of the inmates there who had an artistic bent um created these murals inside his office like he painted oh. he painted one mural of like a religious scene and the priest was like oh come into my office paint my whole office and so these like frescoes which are very de de degraded they're they're like of course yeah. photographs online are like oh my god and then you go and you're like oh, oh. I, I really can't yeah how am i get my iphone i can't get my hand through it's amazing thinking about how hands are reaching through those doors for 140 years and now the hands are just like reaching in people are trying yeah. to like get a piece of it Take a piece of the concrete. Um, oh, we love a yeah, that's crazy. Um, yeah, <laughs> so there's a lot of a lot going on there. It's a huge property, and yeah, they're always doing a lot of work. Always something new happening there. Um, so and it is like you said, it is exhausting. It is like I feel like yeah. If you lived there, you could go to programs and still feel like you're learning things. And I mean, I it's it's a different place. But I when we worked at the 9/11 Memorial Museum, like you really can't do that in a day it's hard to come no. back more than once but like i could never understand people like coming there going on a tour walking through the exhibits watching multiple films while there i'm like i i would tap out after 30 minutes at the 9-11 museum <laughs> it is it was shocking to think about people's capacity for visitation there sometimes <sighs> And I think I've been that person as well at different places that spoke to me. But, you know, we talk about this in museum theory. There's this amazing concept of museum fatigue. Museum you just, fatigue you just like, especially a place like the American Museum of Natural History, like oh, the most, God. the most rambling construction of all time. It, it is, is so, so tiring. Big. Just getting it through it is exhausting. Like navigating. if I, if I had lived like in the city, like right there as a kid, I still don't think I'd seen the whole museum at this point in my life. <laughs> like yeah. there's so much there. It's and, wild. And I like to complete either, either, whether or Me not too. I see everything. I want to at least look and go, okay, that gallery sucks. I'm not going to look at it, but I see it like with, yeah. with, with, with that museum, you literally have to walk six miles to, to know that you've seen everything. And you're like, oh, my God, I wasted so much energy in the deer exhibit. I have nothing to give to the Pacific Islanders. I know. You know, I love the gems, but the insects, feh, you know, oh. yeah, I'm good. <laughs> so that is that is a fact. And you can get it. It can happen anytime. And we talk a big game because we are museum people. We love going to museums. We get fatigued like anybody else. And sometimes we're like, and I know, you know, I am the worst tour participant of all time. You do not Maybe. want me on your tour. You and I have never done that. You and I have never been on a tour together, like rolling our eyes. And 
I live for those wanting moments. To, I wanting li- to kill ourselves. Judging. The judging. I'm judging everything about the person. Um, I, however, have been on one of your tours. Yeah, sure. I know. <laughs> All right. Yes. <laughs> that you have. And you. Uh, I think I bullied you. I you, think that I. <laughs> you were paid to be there to be. I mean, to bully to be an obstacle yes to to yes. that was yeah that was our cruel and unusual punishment was, was, was <laughs> yes, you, we were... you being forced to be on my tour um, yes <laughs> <laughs> when the uh when the tour guides at 9-11 were being trained we had to throw them like gotcha questions that they could possibly be confronted with it's an important piece of training in a difficult environment like that but yeah i had a great time <laughs> Right, it was state sanctioned terrorism. It we, really like, was. And it was like let it, let it, let it go. And we were all like, we were all so eager like, yeah, that could really happen. Oh my god, thank you for doing that. Thank you for thank you. Never happened. It never happened. Nothing went down. <laughs> Nothing ever happened because We had characters, we had accents, we had the best time. We did. We let all the, the punchiness out, all the stress. Yeah. Uh but ultimately proved to be very pointless. People it was. It was quite a respectful. pointless exercise. It was a fear of the unknown, and the unknown really, the most unknown was like, where's the bathroom? Like that's that was really. <laughs> how do place. I get out of this place? How get do I get out the of fuck here? Out of this place. I don't want to be here anymore. That was it. Like get me up. Get me a vertical out of this hole. Yeah, out um, of here. Big time. Oh my goodness, we've gone on such a tangent. But coming back around, excellent job. Thank you so much, Luke. I cannot wait to continue our October yes. spooktacular together. More to come. More to come. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. See ya. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Morbid Museum Podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Get the latest on Instagram and TikTok at The Morbid Museum. Get in touch with us at themorbidmuseum at gmail.com. Consider becoming a supporter of our podcast by joining us on Patreon. Become an official Morbuddy today. As always, we'd like to send a special thank you to all our Patreon listeners. Without you, this podcast really wouldn't be possible. In particular, we want to send extra big, humongous thanks to our Morbid for Life tier buddies, Dennis Barrett and Haley Lamp. Thank you so much, guys. We love you. Until next time, we'll see you for another gallery talk inside the Morbid Museum podcast. Bye. Bye-bye.